Good morning. It's good to be together. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Revelation, book of Revelation, chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 10 through 21, the last words of the, in the Bible. We're finishing up today our study, our four-week Advent series, which we do every year. And this year we've been focusing during Advent where we remember Jesus' first coming as a baby in a manger. We're, we're actually looking ahead and studying some texts that address Jesus' second coming. So that's why we are in Revelation 22. I'm going to read 10 through 21. And as I read, I'll, there's several pronouns in this passage. There's, there's three different uh, people interacting. There's, there's an angelic messenger who starts uh, re- speaking in, I believe, verses 10 and 11. And then Jesus steps in and speaks uh, verses 12 um, through 16. And, and John may also, the, the apostle John who wrote Revelation, who received the revelation from, from this messenger sent by Christ, this, this angel, um, also speaks. Starting in verse 10. And he, that's the angel, said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Now Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and the murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, And let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. God, there are many things that change our plans. Snow changes our plans sometimes but nothing changes your plan. Um, 
And it is pure grace that we see the encouragements and the warnings from your word to be vigilant, to be looking, to be longing, to be telling others, Jesus is coming. Help us, God. Help us see from your word. Help us as we, as we study this, this truth that we've all heard. This is an old story that we've all heard before, but we need with refreshment, with new eyes to be reminded that you will make all things right. And it is our greatest call to desire that, to long for that, to cry out for that, and to tell others. Jesus will save. Jesus is our savior. Help me, Father, to be clear. I do not have the ability in myself to be clear, to speak your word, be at work um, among us. In Christ's name, I pray, amen. <laughs> so Revelation 22, six through 21 is uh, many call it an epilogue. It's the closing statements of Revelation. And the Apostle John is told to proclaim. In other words, don't seal this up. Don't conceal this message that you received. Everything you've received before, John, don't, don't conceal that. The, and the message is ultimately throughout, you know, if you can sum it up, it's that Jesus is coming back. The book of Revelation, it's a call. It's a call for, in Revelation 14, it's the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. We must endure. It's, it's repeated throughout until Jesus returns. Until he returns, we must endure. Fighting, it's a fight filled with opposition, but Revelation ends, as Mike, Pastor Mike shared with us last week, with a reminder that we know how the story ends. Jesus is coming, he's coming back. So we endure living, longing, waiting for Jesus. So we say, come Lord Jesus. It's a major theme. And if somebody asks you, how do you know that that's a big deal in Revelation 22? Well, you just say to them, in the closing epilogue, in these verses six through 21, three times Jesus himself says, surely I am coming soon. It's gotta be important, right? And one time, additionally, we read it in verse 10, the angelic messenger says, the time is near. It's a central theme to this, this closing state, these closing statements of the book. That the babe that we celebrate, born in a manger, came to be delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. He is the bright and morning star he is the root and descendant of David. He's everything the prophets said he would be. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Before Abraham was, I am. And he is the, in Romans 1, or Revelation 1, it says, he is the first and the last, the living one. He died and is alive forevermore, and he holds the keys of death in Hades. And most importantly, we know how the story ends. He's coming. He's coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Three times he says it. The bridegroom is coming back for his bride, the church, and he wants us to be ready. So this passage calls us to dire urgency, take action. 
Um, that is Christ's call. We have all the information we need. We know who he is. We know what he has done. We know what he will do. We have to respond. Take action. It's, it, it, there, there, there's, there's times in our life when you know something is so certain, so true, so incredible, so urgent, that the very evidence that is just laid out before you, it compels you to take action. There's no, there's no weighing your options. You know, if, if you don't take action, you're, you might miss the very offer that's being provided to you. You must respond. For example, the, the Revelation 22, if, if, if you leave thinking um, that, that Jesus' words are something that we contemplatively ponder and weigh our, our options, you know, we do that in life. You know, who should I marry? I'm gonna make a pros and cons list. Um, which product should I buy? Which snowblower should I buy? You didn't, you didn't think that this week, you just wanted one. Should I go to this place or that? Should I change careers? You know, my future. We contemplate things, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. This is urgent. This is an urgent call. There's a storm coming. Seek shelter. There's a fire in your building. Get out. You, the evidence is here. I smell the smoke. Take action. There's an enemy in your house. Jesus is coming soon. Repent, come to Jesus, wash your robes. There's no time to delay. You don't have a guarantee for the next moment. Revelation 22 describes the urgency of Christ's call. We must take action, and this is good for us. It's good, it's not good for our pride, it's not good for our self-reliance, but it's good for us knowing Jesus is in, imminently returning because when he, when, when he tells us, I'm coming soon, we're thrown into his world, his timetable, his plan. My plans all of a sudden must subvert themselves under his plan in order to, to be on the right path. My plans might just be wrong. His plan is, is the one that I should surrender to. No more time to say, tomorrow I will do this or that, or I'll, I'll walk away from this thing, and I'll turn to Jesus. It's the new year, I'm gonna start fresh. I'm gonna live in sin till the new year and then I'll start fresh and that'll be a good turning over. No, Jesus is coming soon. There's no time to delay. Let's talk about some of the implications of Jesus' return. What's, what's revealed in here? What does he mean by soon? Um, first of all, soon um, doesn't mean don't tell anybody or, just, or, or secretive or exclusive in the sense that only certain people need to hear this. It's very clear that John is not supposed to seal up these words. They, people need to know this. Jesus is coming soon. This prophecy, this message, it's gotta be shared. Don't seal it up. If you're thirsty, desirous, Jesus looks savory, come. Everybody needs to hear that. Come to Jesus. Secondly, soon implies unexpectedness quickness, imminence, urgency. That you, when you read with me verse 11, did it just churn your guts? Let's read that again. So first of all, don't seal up the words, the time is near. For the time is near, he ends in verse 10. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. What in the world? 
Now, that sounds fatalistic. It's not fatalistic. I think contextually, if the angel is telling me, first, the time is near, and then he says, it's, it, many believe that he's quoting, I think it's Daniel 12. Uh, it's, a, it's a quote of Daniel 12. Let the evildoers still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. Uh, let the righteous still do right. Let the holy still be holy. It's not a hopeless statement. Otherwise, verse 17 is a joke that you can't respond to. You can't come to Jesus if you're fatalistically doomed to be an evildoer. Rather, it's an urgent call. I think it's an urgent call to repent now. Jesus is coming soon, and the way that he's coming is in a way that the wicked and the evil doer will have no time to flip when he arrives. There's time now. As you, as you can read and hear this, these words, there's still time. When Jesus comes back, there's not gonna be time. You watch the war movies or, uh, you know, movies where the conquering, conquering king or the army comes into the city and you, the, you know, you, the guy inside the city kills some of the guards and he puts on their robes and he just gets in line marching in. That's not gonna be able to happen. You're not gonna be able to just like, okay, now I'm, uh, now I'm in. It's gonna be a quick arrival. I think that's the first thing that, he's, that, that, that the angel is pointing out there. The when Jesus returns, um, there's, there's gonna be people still doing righteousness and there's gonna be people still living in wickedness despite all the warnings and when, it's the, when it happens, it's too late. When, it, when Jesus comes, there's, there's no more opportunity to turn. I think he's connected to that, just describing the world that we're gonna be living in until Christ returns. Till Jesus comes back and makes it all right, there will be a world filled with saints who are following after Christ and there will be those who are unrepentant in opposition to Christ and he's coming to make that right. So it's that kind of soonness. Let's press further. What more does the passage say about this soon arriving Savior. When Jesus comes, there's three more things, I think, three more things that we know about this second coming in verses 12 through, um, through 16. First, it'll be fair. Second, it'll be glorious. Third, it will be terrible. First, it'll be fair. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. Literally, he's bringing wages to pay back. I was reading, uh, this, this is good. This is a good thing for us. And I, 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 I want to, to make note that Jesus isn't saying um, anyone is gonna be, like certain people will be judged, judged partially and like believers, you'll get partial judgment and unbelievers will get impartial judgment. Everybody's gonna be judged. Same standard across the board. I was reading Psalm 119, 149 this morning and, and, and the psalmist says, according to your justice, give me life. We want Jesus to be fair. If Jesus is not fair, if he's, 
inconsistent in his judgments, you have no confidence on the last day. I have no confidence on the last day. Our confidence is that he is fair, that he is a fair judge. So he's going to be fair to everybody. Can't be swayed, can't be tricked. He knows our works. Every creature in Hebrews, every creature is hidden um, from his sight, but all are naked and exposed as those who will give an account to him. Nobody's gonna be able to say, I was unfairly treated when the fair judgment of Christ comes, when he returns. Totally fair, and you want it to be. Second, it's gonna be glorious. We see verses 14, there's some great things in store. This is the greatest good. Blessing, life, eternal life, citizenship in the city where God himself dwells. It's not some arbitrary city, it's God's city. God's there. He's lighting it in Revelation, the beginning of chapter 22. It says God, he, he's, there's no sun there. God lights it. it, is for, it it's those who are washed are blessed, it says. Blessed are those who are washed. What does he mean? How do you wash your robes? How do you, how do you wash your robes? That's, that's how you gain access to the city, Right? so that they may have the right to the tree of life. They may enter the city gates. So if this judge is coming and he's fair and payment will be either good, not found guilty, found to be righteous, or found to be unrighteous, found to be wicked, how do you wash your robes? That's key. How do you know that the washing isn't something that you've got to merit, that you have to earn? Revelation 7, and I think we'll have it on the screen. I'm gonna read a, a chunk here because this is, I think this, this helps explain from the book of Revelation what this washing looks like. It's a big ch- chunk, but I'm gonna read verses nine through 14. This passage tells us that those who are washed, they didn't clean themselves and be, or become clean by any work that they did. Starting verse nine. After this, I looked, and it's John speaking, and behold, I think this is a picture, just a little aside. I think this is a, a snapshot into glory when God makes all things right. We see pictures throughout Revelation of the end, and we see it early on in chapter seven. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe, uh, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Where does it come from? It belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and, the, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. He's made it all right. He will make it all right. This is a snapshot into that. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, this is the key, who are those clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And I said, this is John, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. 
they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So they're washing. So this, I think we have in good confidence, blessed are those who wash their robes in verse 14, come back to 22. How did they get washed? In the blood of the lamb. How did you get clean? It was in the blood of the lamb. They turned to Jesus. They found life. They repented of that former life and they found everlasting life. Jesus' blood made them clean because his blood paid for their sin. Paid for it. Righteous. Past, present, future. The fair judge is coming. Look at them and he'll see, say, you're righteous because of my righteousness. Are you washed in the blood? What works will we be judged for? If you're washed in the blood, Jesus is your righteousness. Thirdly, and sadly, it will be terrible. It'll be fair, it'll be glorious, it'll be terrible. There's two groups, I think. One in verse 15, and then there's a second group in verses 18 through 19. Um, that it's, this is gonna be a terrible day for. The wicked, in verse 15, are those outside the city. They don't get to come in. They don't get to enter the gates. They didn't wash their robes in the blood of the lamb. And then there's also the wicked who didn't take Jesus at his word, but they tried to add or take away from what Jesus said. I warn everyone, verse 18, who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from them the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Two groups, there's the outsiders who did not surrender, and there's the quote-unquote insiders who twisted Jesus's words and did not follow uh, a life surrendered to Christ. They said something different about the Jesus that we have from the word. So there's first, um, let's look at the, the banned ones, the ones that are banned from the city in verse 15. Um, that list, dogs, um, sorcerers, or those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Um, I think this is more understanding for us to reckon with. It's a comprehensive list that seems to describe every form of sinful opposition to Christ. Those loving, practicing falsehood, those who are living and loving this world. And Romans three twenty three says uh, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, they're sinners. They didn't turn to Christ. The, the evildoer who still does evil, the filthy who still remains filthy, who doesn't wash the robes in the blood of the lamb, remain outside forever. In, a, in Revelation twenty fifteen says, it's a lake of fire. There's a second group though, let's, let's look at them. So first group, second group, these who add or take away from the words of Christ, they get the same fate as the evildoer. Um, you could call it heresy, 
some sort of twisting of what Jesus has said in order to get the outcome that you want. These, they add or they take away from Jesus, but they don't enter the gates of life that are built, open through Christ, his blood, that's the gates. You gotta enter through Christ. Rather, they, they tried another way. I'm gonna leap over the wall. I'm not going through Christ and what he has said. I'm going to find another path. And when the fair judge returns, we have to ask if he's judging fairly, how will they be repaid? I think that's a good question for us to think about because we are here in a church. Um, Pastor Mike mentions, has mentioned Pilgrim's Progress, the past by John Bunyan. It is a great book because it's so many helpful images that describe the Christian life are in it. Bunyan is very skilled, was very skilled in that. So in, the, in Pilgrim's Progress, you have this, this main character, his name's Christian, and he's, he's entered through the gates of, sal- of salvation, through Christ, he's entered through Christ's blood, and he's on this path, this narrow path to life, going to the celestial city, heaven. He's going to the city where God dwells. And, and on the path, there's this path, and then there's these walls on either side. And in, in, in this, in, in one part of this, this book, um, he runs into two guys that don't enter through the gates to the path. They actually leap over the wall. One is called hypocrisy, and one is called formalist. The, 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 the formalist is like a ritualist. He, he's following rituals. He's, he's trusting in my church attendance. He's trusting in, well, I'm a good person. He, he's trusting in the forms of religion to save him. And hypocrisy is, is also living um, a, a dead faith of some sorts, but maybe good on the outside, saying all the right things, but inwardly is, is condemned as a fraud. So formalist and hypo- hypocrisy, they don't enter by the gates. They leap over the wall and, and Christian interacts with them and he, he, he's asking them, well, why are you, you're trespassing? That's what he says to them. Listen to what they say. Our countrymen have agreed that this gate you mentioned, it's too far away. So we usually take, we, we make a shortcut of it we climb over the wall at this point just as we've done. Christian, he continues questioning them and he's concerned for them, and, but they keep going on. Our manner of climbing over the wall, it's an established custom. In fact, many witnesses have testified. It's an acceptable route, which has been well established. We're just following the ones that have gone before us, going over the wall. He's unable to change their minds, but he asks a striking question after they say this. They have this discourse, and the question that he says, he says, the real question is, will your established practice, your practice of entering the path, not by the gates, but over the wall, will your established practice stand up to investigation in a court of law? That's a good question. If the fair judge is coming and he judges impartially, will their method stand up? 
it's not gonna stand up. Christian knows it's not gonna stand up. You can have all sorts of confidence in your method, well-established for centuries. Is it gonna stand up with the Christ that is revealed in, God, in the word of God? Not only, I think, in good confidence, we can apply these, these words, do not add, do not take away to the book of Revelation, it applies to the word of God as well. Do not add, do not take away, do not twist Christ into a Christ of your own making. Take him for who he is, repent, believe, don't climb over the wall. It's not gonna stand up in his court. The sad similarity between both groups, the group, the, out, the outsiders that are, we would say, well, yes, they're, they're living in their sin, of course, and the insider that, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm attending. I'm, the sad similarity is they're not taking Jesus seriously. They're not taking him at his word. One is unbelieving, one is saying maybe he's not real, maybe um, he's not worth obeying, and, and then the other who's inside is not taking him for his word as delivered. Maybe it's uncomfortable enough that I'm gonna twist it or alter it so that it's more palatable for others, for myself, for my conscience. I'm gonna twist Christ's words. Both groups are not taking Jesus seriously, but the problem is there's one standard, one judge, one court, and so we ask the same question. Is it gonna stand up in Christ's, Christ's court, his fair court of law? So, Jesus is coming soon. Fair, glorious, terrible, how do we live? How should we live? Now, because he wants us to be aware that he's coming soon, how should we live? And we're gonna spend the rest of our time in verse 17 and a little bit in verse 20. The application is that we respond. Respond to Christ's call. Don't delay. And verse 17, it offers, I think, two responses to the reality that Jesus is coming soon. Two, and, and the two responses are, it's kind of the way, it, 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 they come from the way that, that he uses the word come in the passage. He, he, as John's writing this, this delivered to him from Christ, he's, he uses the word come in two different senses. So the first is, if you're in Christ Jesus, you say, come Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come, to call. And the one who hears say, come. The spirit and the bride cry. The spirit um, could be the spirit at work in the heart of a Christian. Could be the spirit that's inspiring John to write this. The, ch the bride being the church, us say, one voice, come. Lord Jesus, we say, come Lord Jesus. And, and he repeats it at the end, come Lord Jesus. Surely I am coming soon, Jesus says, amen. We say back, amen, come Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears, who hears the word, anyone who has an ear to hear, let him hear, say, come Lord Jesus. Daily, it's a daily heart cry. And he says, I'm coming soon. We respond with that desire. Come, Jesus. 
you may not be here, but what if you don't? What if you don't desire to say that? If you don't desire to, what, what might be preventing you from saying that? Um, so for example, um, I need more time. I'm young. Come when I'm 70. Uh, my family, I need more time. Or they don't know you yet. That person I know, they don't know you yet. Can you wait? Despite those questions, there's, there's an objective reality that this passage shows, Revelation shows, there's an objective reality that we, we cannot miss, um, and, and that is that Jesus Jesus' return is objectively good. So if I'm saying I need more time, I might not understand how great eternity with Christ is in comparison to what I have right now. I might be committing the sin of world love. He when he comes, no more sin, no more opponents, no more evil. For every good you can think of, for every great thing you can think of, there are a thousand evils in the world and Jesus is gonna put an end to them. Every barrier to access holy God. God is in the city and you get to dwell in the city. Glory brighter than the sun, I might be forgetting how great the glory in store is. I need to be reminded. So the questions maybe tell us a little bit more about the one asking the question than about the reality. The question asker needs to be reminded of the truths of the gospel. And, and if, and if my, my thought is, what about I need more time to share, be actively engaged in sharing, maybe the question is less, I need more time and how am I using my time? They need to know, Jesus is coming soon, it's imminent, don't delay. Maybe the question asker there is delaying, is, not, is forgetting how serious the message, how serious this is. Evil is com combating against God. And if they don't hear, when Christ comes, they will be lost. I must be urgent then. Maybe that's the question I should be asking myself. Where is my urgency? We're living on God's timetable, remember? When, when Jesus says, I am coming soon, it means imminent. It means I don't have time to control this. Surrender. We need fresh gospel reminders. What has he saved us from? What is he saving us to? How urgent is this? What is in store for, for, not being in Christ, for those not in Christ? Let's go back to the gospel if you're there. The second way, so first, we say, come Lord Jesus, and we desire that. The second way um, the word come is used in 17, it's not to say, come Lord Jesus, but it's a call to come to Jesus. It's not fatalistic. If you can read and hear the words now, the call is out still. Come to Jesus. And you see that in the second half, 
there of, of verse 17. And let, uh, let the one who desires, or excuse me, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires, so not say come, let them come, come, come to Jesus. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price, it's free. So we first say, come Lord Jesus. But we don't just say, come Lord Jesus. We say, come to Jesus. He will save. Desirous, thirsty, does this look good? Come. Looking for meaning, looking for purpose. Does he offer something valuable? Do you see that? Come. Wash your robes in the blood of the lamb. You don't need more time to contemplate this. There's really no time other than urgent, present, imperative, now. Come, come. No more, no more time to say, if only I have more time to turn my life around or if more time to, to fix that, stop looking at that. More time to relax before I get serious. No more time to play. There's no there's no time. It's now. Come. If you think there's time, if I think there's time to delay, that's, that's a dangerous place to be. Take the water. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Uh, Jesus said to the um, Samaritan woman, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. It's real life. Or thinking of this season, um, be like the shepherds. When the angels came to them on the, the mor morning, the day of Christ's birth and said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. What did they do? Let's go, let's go see him. Let's go worship, let's not delay. You'll find rest for your soul and, if, and, and you will join. You will join the, the, the bride in the chorus that says, come Lord Jesus, come make it right and come to Jesus. He is good, he will save. So Jesus is coming back. And we say, come Lord Jesus. And come to Jesus until he appears. That's our heart cry. And it's a great last word from the word of God. Let's pray. Christ, you said, surely I am coming soon. May we live that. Live with the heart, the desire to see you make it right. To see you your justice vindicated, right every wrong. May we live for that. If anyone is thirsty, desirous, right now, may they come. Trust, you're a good God, you're a great savior, you're reliable. Help us, God. In Christ's name we pray, amen.